and welcome to Decoding the Gurus. It's the podcast where two academics listen to content from the greatest minds the online world has to offer. And every couple of weeks, we try to understand what they're talking about. So my name's Matt Brown. Uh, with me is Chris Kavanagh. Um, I'm a psychologist. He's a cognitive anthropologist. And uh, he is from a place that definitely isn't England. Um <laughs> So, Chris, are we ready to get into it? Are we ready to get into I, it today? Yeah. I also mentioned that you, Matt, are also from somewhere that definitely is not England. This yeah, is, yeah. Interesting introduction you've you've gone with this week. Yeah, but you know, unlike where you're from, no one could possibly be confused about that. So, uh, yeah, that's know, right. I, I My it- accent means that people are often mistaking me for a uh, a high class elite English man. Uh, so yes. you're right. It's a it's a perennial cross that I have to bear. Yes. Um, well, this week we have uh, got a few introductory things to get through and then we're going to get into Russell Brand, aren't we? He's going to be fun. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Put, you put the spoiler up front, Matt. No no build up. Just there he is, the big haired buffoon. It's, <laughs> it's not a secret, Chris. We do advertise it beforehand. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and it was posted in advance this week. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah good on you, Chris. You pulled your finger out and got that done. <laughs> that's right. So that, that yeah, I, I seem to recall somebody saying, I'm definitely going to do that. Don't you do it. I'll do it. But, but anyway, you know, memory <sighs> is fallible. So yeah. we, we can say what's, what's, what's real in the past and it's, what's not. It's lost in the midst of times now. We'll have to, anyway, we'll let that go. Um, okay, <laughs> before we get... Will we, Matt? Will we? <laughs> Will we? <laughs> okay, so let's do a few updates first. We also want to um, review a couple of our reviews, which we, we, love, we love doing. Oh yeah, so we 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 have been doing well with people kindly leaving reviews as we asked, and some of them have been quite amusing. So we actually don't have new negative reviews, and I'm not saying that to encourage people to leave negative reviews, but just that it means that the two I'm going to discuss today are are actually positive. What? Don't sound so surprised. <laughs> you sound surprised, but, you know, I mean, and it sounds really good that we've got two positive reviews, but it's, it kind of, it's less, sounds less good when we realize that one of them was from my brother. Yeah. Yes. So I think you haven't read this. Your no. brother might be called Sean Brown. Would this be correct? That would be correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do I know it's your brother? Well, mm. here we go. We have a five-star review on the Australian iTunes and it says, uh, the title is My Brother Made Me Do It. <laughs> and then uh, the review says, Matthew is my brother and he made me leave a five-star review or he'd nipple cripple me. I don't know what they're talking about. Good stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, good. He follows instructions. Yeah, he's he, yeah, little brothers I, are good for something, it seems. I feel that that kind of spoils the, the point of leaving the fake family review when you identify yourself and admit it was coerced, but yeah. but every every rating counts. Every, right? <laughs> every rating counts. Like I said, just the five stars, you can write anything you want after that. So uh, yeah, good. Um, we had another one as well? Yes, we did, uh, which I have just closed down. So uh, give me one second. Um, I'll just play some some elevator music. Okay, yeah. So I <laughs> this this is by someone called Natalia de Zobra. Zobra. I can't. Uh, I apologize for that, Natalia. But 
the title is I Love These Guys. So she's off to a good start. Excellent. Um, but I I actually can't read the the intention in this next line. So let, maybe you can decode it for me. So mm-hmm. she said, one of my favorite things is when a simple, dull joke will sound absolutely hilarious after over an hour of exhaustive and dry analysis. <laughs> 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 yeah she's that's a pretty good that summary nagging? <laughs> that nagging? yeah that that's uh yeah that's a very borderline that's borderline praise there chris i'm not sure what I, I i like that i like that but and uh and she also points out that a rear review from matt on rudger bregman he should use it as a blurb on his next book and this is a quote from you <laughs> i don't think this guy is a grifter he's not motivated by bad things only a bit slack in his research and reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's me being very even-handed and fair. I'm sure Roku would be happy with that review. I mean, you know, he, he knows it can't be all praise, you know. Why do you hear them so much, Matt? That's the <laughs> thing that I'm, I just was astonished last week, the level of, you know, passionate hatred. It was was hard to deal with, but there we go. I think, well, you know, Rutger, if you're listening to this, which of course he isn't because... Um, he's far too important. He, he, I think he's my my favorite person that we've reviewed so far. He, that's a very that's a, that's a stunning endorsement given the people that we've reviewed so far. <laughs> Good, congratulations, Rudger. Um, and, and yeah, so okay now, now we have had people sing our praises or or subtly neg us. Um, then there was one other very important thing that I. I think you. I need to make you aware of. Mm-hmm. We've we've broken the podcast charts. <sighs> I got a notification in the email uh, inbox. Oh, really? And yes, we're we're in the so we're in the top hundred podcasts good. in society and culture. Uh-huh. Sounds good so far uh-huh. in Iceland. Oh, and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're big in Iceland. Uh... That's right. We're and in the top. In the top 100, I'm not sure that's that big, <laughs> to be honest. But the, uh, yeah, we're, we're currently ranked 78 in Iceland for Society and Culture podcast. Uh, so how, how are you going to manage this newfound uh, level of fame? People are going to be st- stopping me on the street. I mean, well, we can't go to Iceland now, obviously. We'll be just swamped with adoring fans uh yeah that's right that that's me that's why i've been getting all those letters and emails from icelandic fans that's that's the reason <laughs> we've we're becoming big there so yeah uh, I, well, well that's that's good news chris i mean it's not quite as good as i thought it might have been but it's still good <laughs> well, <laughs> it's I, I, yeah, I wanted to save it you know you've got your brother's review you've got breaking <laughs> iceland top 100 it's <laughs> It's hard to overestimate, uh, you know, the extent to which this podcast success is soaring. So it's uh, it's a, it's just it's just been a whirlwind. It's like a you know, it's been like a dream so far. Yeah, mm. yeah. So um, so after that uh, exciting news, I thought we would move on to our well. Usually, after we've covered someone, we have corrections or complaints or. Or feedback to discuss regarding the guru that we covered. And last week, it was Rudger Bregman. Fair to say we didn't get as much call mm-hmm. for corrections. Um, but maybe we didn't make that many misstatements. In fact, we I would say the majority 
of feedback we got was people quite satisfied that we had <laughs> focused yes. on him. It, it seems like he's annoyed quite a lot of people, especially <laughs> a, a fair amount of left-wing people as well. So it, that that yeah. was interesting to see. But uh, did we did we get any critical feedback or anything you want to correct the record on? Yeah. Um, oh, look, I, I, yeah, I think people are generally pleased that we're looking at... Um... Um, you know, left to center people too. And of course, we're following that up again this week with Russell Brand. Yeah, I think, um, look, the only thing I got, I think, was a little bit of uh, pushback. On people were a little bit unhappy that I kind of agreed, essentially, with the kinds of things that Rutger was arguing for, which I think for, for me was a bit of an offhand kind of thing, because just to make the point that, you know, our, my main problem is with his arguments rather than what he's arguing for. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, um, I didn't think it was really that controversial, the kinds of things that he's arguing for. I mean, like, like UBI is, you know. I mean. I'm, a, I'm a little bit confused though, Matt, because my impression was that you were for automated luxury gay space communism. Yes. And I'm not sure that's what Rutger is promoting. Um, no. So there, there does <laughs> seem to be a contradiction somewhere I've, here. I've clearly misunderstood where Rutger was coming from. I thought that's what totally what he was going for. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I think like if I can... If I can speak for you, Matt, I think part of the issue is, although <laughs> there's lots of things to point out where Ricker seems to be exaggerating the evidence or maybe misrepresenting the the level of consensus on particular issues, the general view about inequality as a problem, a greater redistribution of wealth, higher taxes... Those, those kind of like fairly bog standard lefty positions, those are the things that you, I think, agree with. Mm. Is is that yeah, thank you. accurate? Yeah, it is. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. Um, yeah, and, you know, the other <laughs> the, the other thing, uh, you know, there's his more general point of view that we should try to, you know, look at the incentives and stuff in society and see if, you know, we can reorient them a bit so it's not all about chasing wealth and status and maybe focusing on health and well-being and and trying to um do things that are more more meaningful i think it's pretty appropriate given that we're kind of moving towards a in some ways a post-scarcity type society in many places in the west and um i yeah so i stand by those statements i <laughs> not one step back I'm, I'm i'm okay with them i i feel that yeah like you said they're pretty they're not particularly controversial for someone who's coming from a you know a, a general progressive point of view well okay you've you've done your best to justify your worldview, Matt. Uh, let's, let's see if people buy it or luxury space automated communism for the win yeah <laughs> remember matt is available on twitter and by email to, uh, for any feedback on his political views but and and actually maybe this is a good time to mention before we we have a a little discussion about the state of the the gurus that we've covered before is that this week when we are covering Russell Brand, who has at least superficially an argument for quite a revolutionary style of politics. I, I think it's fair to say that you and I don't agree with his mm. political view, but we don't want that to be the focus. Like, as we've said in previous weeks, it would be impossible for us not to let our our personal views and, and political beliefs to 
influence, you know, the way we respond to things. But it isn't the focus this week to kind of argue that if you agree with a more revolutionary style of politics, that that that's inherently wrong or uh, that, that that's the issue, right? I, I think as we'll get into, there's there's other points of departure, but I guess what I'm trying to say is the mm. podcast is not intended to be advocacy for milk toast centrist politics, <laughs> even though that, that may be what it turns out to uh, to often be saying. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, like, that, that, that's 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 well put, Chris. It's an important distinction to make. Like, was it my, was it well put? It wasn't, it wasn't well put, but um, <laughs> it was. It's a difficult thing to put well. So you did you did your best, Chris. That's the main thing. Um, yeah, like, look, if you disagree with our politics and think that we're morons and not, uh, like, sufficiently revolutionary, that's fine. Just listen anyway. <laughs> that's, that's my message. Five stars. Five stars reviews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, five-star review and explain in your review why our politics are Yeah, whack. yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, look, um, I think your distinction is really important, which is that, um, yeah, you know, we have opinions just like everyone else, but we don't want this podcast to be just you and me airing our opinion about every damn thing. Really, w- what we want to do is focus on uh, how these people are communicating, the, the style of argumentation and the quality of the argumentation that they're putting forward to kind of just help tell the difference between good and bad discourse or um yeah, um, arguments. So, uh, you know, when, when we looked at Jordan Peterson, for instance, we tried to look at what he does and how he does it, not in terms of whether we agreed or not with his socially conservative points of view, but rather the the kind of logic and, um, and yeah, I, I keep saying argumentation, but that's the only <laughs> word I can think of for, 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 for actually getting there. And yeah, we're going to try to do the same thing with uh russell brand yeah and unfortunately as we're humans we'll fall short but t- tough shit yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a free podcast so you know <laughs> you get what you pay for that's right yeah um all right so enough uh introspective waffle <laughs> now, now let's get back to criticizing everyone else so the, um we, we sometimes uh, in recent weeks have done a kind of state of the gurus roundup on our previous guests. So do you have any updates worth mentioning to start us off, Matt? Ah, uh, the gurus, the gurus. Um, oh, no, you go first, Chris. I'm, um, I, I need to get inspired. You need to shuffle your notes and organize your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So one thing I <laughs> really enjoyed, I, I can say this give me a deep feeling of catharsis was that uh just yesterday actually sam harris released a new episode in which he publicly slammed the intellectual dark web and and metaphorically handed in his membership card because Mm. of their rampant promotion of both ciderism and various endorsements of trump's election voter fraud conspiracies so he he basically called out enlightened centrism mm. takes and the notion that, you know, saying both sides have problems is in this current environment where Trump is trying to disqualify his loss in the uh, US election as as harmful. And he 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 didn't pull punches. He called said, you know, if you're doing that, you're an agent of misinformation 
and delusional. So, so it was, it was just quite enjoyable to hear uh, somebody within that sphere. Yeah. Yep. Just describing what's happened because, you know, in the post-election environment, we, we've, we've detailed in recent weeks how James Lindsay, who we covered on the second podcast, has uh, descended further and further into the right-wing reactionary conspiratorial sphere and, and has recently been retweeting QAnon counts, former InfoWars employees and, and a whole bunch of like pretty extreme conspiracy stuff. Um, and he's not alone. Majid Nawaz, the Weinsteins, they're, they're all in this post-election environment revealing their stripes, I think, as fairly dubious contrarian thinkers who aren't that good at I critically evaluating conspiracy claims. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I described Sam Harris's statement as surgical, you know, very precise and extremely forceful. And, uh, you know, I think he, it really does distinguish him from these other characters. Um, like if you compare how he, not, not just what he said, but the re just the systematic way he laid out the reasons for it and how unambiguous and clear he was, and you contrast that with um, Eric Weinstein, I think it was, Weinstein, <laughs> <laughs> um, his response to it, which was this, uh, uh, I can't, can't think of a polite way to say it, it this very mealy-mouthed, obscurantist, both-sidest, um, oh, yeah, it, it was, you know, it's chalk and cheese. That's, that's really not like Eric as well. He's usually so clear and precise. <laughs> just oh, we're getting snow. We're getting snarky, Chris. We gotta, we gotta pull it back. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, another issue that's come up in the post-election environment, which I think reflects this this kind of tendency amongst more, some of the more heterodox contrarian types, is that they they've been focusing on this topic of the Great Reset, which is. Uh, discussion and document and various policy proposals put forward at the World Economics Forum by, you know, a bunch of neoliberal globalist types. And this is being presented very much as an attempt by the neoliberal elite to usher in a new era of social control using the coronavirus as a, like an opportunity to seize the reins of power and take control of the masses, remove all freedoms and so on and so forth. And uh, that framing of it, like, I mean, on the one hand, we should be very thankful that the world economic policy mm. and, and leaders like Justin mm. Trudeau have, have quite openly just discussed this as if it's actually just, you know, neoliberal policy wonkery. Uh, as if it, it isn't some grand nefarious scheme. It's more just the kind of things that internationalists and governments try to organize plans to rebuild after pandemics or, you know, natural disasters. That this is a this is a thing that is fairly normal, bog standard. It's sort of their fault for attaching a conspiracy attractive mm. title to it, right? Like the Great Reset. But I just find the level of hysteria around this at the same time that the Trump administration is openly trying to uh, yeah, um, steal an election, essentially. <laughs> yeah, to steal an election, like openly. But but that's regarded as something that we 
we should just treat as a normal procedural part of politics. Like, don't don't get hysterical about it. He's just alleging massive voter fraud with no evidence. But on the other hand, this economic policy discussion, which will will probably lead to very little, is is you know world shattering, and everybody needs to be talking about it. Yeah, ah, uh, it's just it's just so silly. I mean, the the. The Great Reset is is like a light version of the New World Order, which everyone, all the conspiracy theorists freaked out about when um, based on something that, who was it, George Bush Sr. or Jr.? Anyway, said. Um, and that's just like a, like a light version of these other things, you know, the Illuminati and the, you know, it, it's just so common, these conspiracy theories where there's this paranoia, especially in the United States, about any kind of international meeting or body, when in actual fact, these international organizations have so little influence. You know, they're just talk fests. Um, it's, it's like elites anyway. getting together to, to you know, pat each other on the back and come up with plans that actually will come to very little, often. Uh, very little. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, and, but by the way, Chris, I, I, I like how we, we started off the podcast with a big disclaimer about how we, this isn't about just us giving our opinions. <laughs> this section is all right, Matt. This is what this is for. But the, like, and I will also note that uh, you mentioned the New World Order as, you know, the more extreme version. And I've seen people sharing a video where somebody mentions the words New World Order. And this was taken as, you know, dramatic like curtain pull look they're not even hiding it anymore and yeah i i i find this hard sometimes to deal with because a lot of it is just people saying how can you say that's a conspiracy it's actually there they have a website they have documents like you can see them and and my reaction is like do you do you hear what you're saying like this is a conspiracy but they're producing documents where they outline it and stuff it 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 isn't a conspiracy. It's just a like, if it is a conspiracy, it's a pretty bad one. Anyway, all right. So that's what they're up to. And I think JP Sears and some of the other folks in the orbit have been talking up Parler. But to be honest, with all these alternative networks, they get talked up a lot and people say they're going to leave YouTube and Twitter. But it, it basically doesn't happen, right? They They go there and then they still keep their accounts open and come back. It's only really the people that get banned that that actually shift platforms so yeah so yeah, yeah. i i wouldn't be surprised if in one year parlor doesn't exist or is like super unpopular yeah yeah i, sus- I suspect you're right okay so are we going to give a little uh oh sorry are there any more updates we want to give about um pro- gurus prior gurus i uh, know so maybe we can save the rest of it for what we've decided that we'll do is in this conspiracy rich post election period, have a little look around at a bunch of different guru types on how they're responding to this post-US election environment. Oh, yes. And maybe release a special episode. So so maybe we can update on some of our favorite gurus then yeah. in, in more detail. Yeah, I think that's going to be really fun because obviously if COVID hadn't given us enough juicy conspiratorial reasoning, then the American election uh, was just a bonanza for it. Um, And so many different guru-like people weighed in on that with their hot takes, none of which seemed to be (laughs) having, as far as I could tell, uh, any substance behind them whatsoever. Um, (laughs) um, Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Spoiler, yeah. Um, So that that will be um, uh, fun. Um, So that's a special episode coming up. 
stay tuned for that. We'll talk about the person we're going to be covering next time, our next proper episode. Um, but do we want to save that as a surprise? Uh, yeah, let's leave it to the end so that people are forced to listen if they want to know, or they can just like fast forward. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, that's oh, right. Who would do that? Who would do that? Well, yeah. Look, if anyone on Twitter says, "Hey, I really like the episode," I'm gonna say, "Okay, well, who are we covering next week then?" And that, that'll, <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> that'll be the test. That's, okay, that's good. All right. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's our state of the guru union. Um. <laughs> with a slight dose, a slight dose of milk toast centrism there for you. Yeah. Sorry, left or right wing revolutionaries. Okay, so Russell Brand, <laughs> the man of the hour. Yes. So you're kind of um, English adjacent. So why don't you, you're probably more familiar with Russell Brand than me or most people. So why don't you give us a little um, a little potted history of Russell? You are intent this week, Matt, on annoying the Irish contingent, <laughs> the, the large <laughs> Irish and Northern Irish contingent that we have. With your, you are you are literally you are Chris, you are literally English adjacent. There's nothing offensive about it's that just, whatsoever. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a geographical or fact. Yes. 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 Granted, indeed, my <laughs> my origin is even within the UK, technically. Um, so. In any case, uh, Russell Brand is someone that I was aware of and have been for some time because he actually rose to fame or became like well known from hosting an after show about Big Brother in the UK um, many moons ago, the, the reality TV show Big Brother. And I actually recall like back in the era when house phones were a thing and, you know, corded landlines, um, talking to a friend from school and having seen Russell Brand on the TV and, and basically lamenting at how such a person could exist and be popular. Um, or the, that I may have seen the, like, the most annoying person I could possibly imagine. So that might, that might give some view of my initial stance on Russell Brand. But he, he's an actor, comedian, and now podcaster and book writer sometimes but he's he's quite distinctive in appearance and the way he speaks uh, a bizarre mixture of almost cockney london slang with extreme flowery language and and jargony academic ease almost stuff and yeah, you know, he's been in a bunch of movies i actually like some of the movies he was in like forgetting sarah marshall and whatnot but um He's become, in recent years, more relevant to us because in the, I think it was the 2013 or thereabouts election, where he was interviewed by a political journalist who's quite famous in the UK called Jeremy Paxman, and he strongly urged people not to vote. So he he gave this impassioned call for people not to vote and and that led to him becoming a popular figure covered in the run-up to that election and he eventually endorsed the left-wing Labour Party but that but that was like a couple of days before the election anyway he, he then subsequently went to a bunch of protests and wrote a book called Revolution in which he outlined his political vision such as it exists and and that was the situation a couple of years ago and then more recently He's essentially stepped back a little bit from commenting directly on politics, although he still does. But he he's more now focused on advocating for a spiritual 
revolution. And yeah, and, and promoting spiritual and mental wellness. So a bit into the JP Spheres, JP Sears sphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in in listening to him, he really did uh, strike me as someone who sort of sits halfway between J.P. Sears and uh, Jordan Peterson, actually, because he's got the same kind of, you know, scattergun stream of consciousness approach. Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually probably a really neat description of where he fits, like in between, because he is, as we'll see, he's a comedian, and I think a better comedian than J.P. Sears. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, but but he has a lot of the Peterson like stream of conscious and making references to world religions or literature or psychological theory. So mm. there's there's definitely a lot of overlap in in those those two kind of groups of gurus that he he's in the middle of the Venn diagram uh, of. Yeah, and look, he's definitely he's definitely quite well read, like Jordan Peterson, and is able to kind of cite a bunch of. Uh, stuff uh, through his streams of consciousness. Yeah. So, okay, maybe a good place to start would be the Paxman, the famous Paxman interview to to see the political position he was advocating a number of years ago. And then we can go and have a look at the more recent material and how his positions have changed or not. And we should probably say that the main talk that we're looking at this week is this interview with a a kind of vegan health guru called Rich Roll, who is interviewing Russell Brand on his podcast. But we also looked at this short clip that he had on YouTube about who he's voting for in the UK election. It just happened a couple of years back. So where he gave an update on his political views. Okay, so but before we get to the more recent stuff, here is him laying out his view about voting and politics in 2013. Voted in. Well, you That's say how that, Jeremy. You like can't a, even be asked to vote. It's quite a narrow, uh, quite a narrow prescriptive parameter that changes within the. Uh, the in a democracy, that's how it works. Well, I don't think it's working very well, Jeremy. Given that the planet is being destroyed, given that there is economic disparity of a huge degree, what you're saying? There's no alternative. There's no alternative. No, I'm Just not saying system. that. I'm saying if you Brilliant. can't be asked to vote, why should we be asked to listen to your political point of view? You don't have to listen to my political point of view, but it's not uh, that I'm not voting out of apathy. I'm not voting out of absolute indifference and weariness and exhaustion from the lies, treachery, deceit of the political class that has been going on for generations now and which has now reached fever pitch where we have a disenfranchised, disillusioned, despondent underclass that are not being represented by that political system. So voting for it is tacit complicity with that system and that's not something I'm offering up. Yeah. So he's actually being pretty explicit there, isn't he, Chris? Um, I think it sums up his point of view pretty well, which is that revolutionary mindset that this uh, sort of democratic process and, you know, incremental change just um, isn't working and is essentially, despite being nominally democratic, is actually subject to various corrupting forces of, you know, money and power and influence and so on so it, it he's describing pretty pretty clearly his his revolutionary mindset which is you actually need to upend the system um, rather than participate in it yeah and i i think one of the crucial points that i would emphasize is the extent to which that view that he had revolved around that voting was was bad and and that by actually getting involved with the process and voting you were tainting yourself with the the inequities of the system so th this is a shorter clip where he makes that even more explicit 
But there are many people who would agree with you. Good. The current system is not engaging with all sorts of problems. Yes. And they feel apathetic. Mm. Really apathetic. Yes. But if they were to take you seriously and not to vote... Yeah, they shouldn't vote. They should, that's one thing they should do. Don't bother voting. Because then when it reaches... There's a point. So these little valves, these sort of like little cosy little valves of recycling and Prius and like, you know, turn up somewhere, it stops us reaching the pit point where we think, oh, this is enough now. Stop voting. Stop pretending. Wake up. Be in reality now. Time to be in reality now. Why vote? We know it's not going to make any difference. We know that already. So, you know, I, I have more impact at West Ham United, cheering them on. And they lost the city, unnecessarily. Sadly. Yeah, so for me, that combination of criticism of the system with a disparaging of anybody participating within the restrictions of democratic voting, that, that's like really bad. The thing is that he he did just before the election walk this back and he ended up endorsing the left wing Labour candidate a couple of days before the election. But it, but it was this sentiment of like dissatisfaction with the political system and that they're all just the same that that kind of got him the attention. And I mean, this view that. If the system cannot be upended and revolutionized, that that there's no no difference for who people vote for. Obviously, especially in the current environment, that's not true, right? Who you vote for matters. And even if your vote is to protest by voting for a a party which doesn't have a likelihood to get elected, at least, you know, you can send a message to some extent. Am I just being a, a, like a patsy of the system? Um, yes, you're being a milquetoast centrist, Chris. But, but look, I mean, his point of view that doesn't look too good with 2020 hindsight in 2020. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> this is the kind of gold tier banter you are going to get on this podcast. Anyway, um, so like, but it does remind me of the sort of right wing or pseudo right wing point of view you get a lot now. Oh, Biden and Trump, Democrats and Republicans, they're all basically the same. So, and, and there's that kind of flattening, which allows you to just kind of dismiss the stuff that Trump does because, oh, you know, the Democrats have done this corrupt thing or that corrupt thing or whatever. And so you see it from other uh, angles too, which really frustrates me. And that's exactly the kind of thing actually that Sam Harris was dismantling very systematically, I thought, that kind of, that kind of um, really weak both-siderism. So it does, I, th- I think the same criticism can apply to Russell Brand's point of view there. I know, I know it's a fashionable it's a fashionable kind of thing to say. I don't know. Well, but I mean, look, it feels trite to say that people died for the vote, for your right to vote. But like when if you come from a community that is systematically disenfranchised or that has a history with not being represented, then voting does take on a kind of different valence, you know. And so I... I I think it's okay just to say that like that that feels like a viewpoint which is very privileged that you you don't care about voting because you can't get the exact party that you want and uh, maybe a point to note here is like so this is five years ago right and there's like you say there's hand, hindsight bias but this is a kind of position that you you would hear amongst you know students I maybe could remember sharing these sentiments right in your teens or 20s like fuck the system sentiments but 
But when Russell is making these arguments, he's in his 40s. And and it's the same as like, mm, you know, yeah. Joe Rogan is in his 50s. But people often talk about him as if he's just this like frat guy trying out ideas in his bedroom. But but these guys have had like 20 or 30 years existing in the world as adults. And yet it, it feels like their politics and their image of the system is like really juvenile yeah well there you have it we've come down hard on a dis i'm disagreeing with russell brand here so it sounds like the decoding the guru's official policy is that we are pro-democracy yeah well okay <laughs> we're in favor of it there's, there's one last <laughs> clip from this uh, time capsule where the interviewer presses him to get specific and and i think it makes a good job of like highlighting the contradictions better than our commentary can What's, what what's the scheme? That's all I'm asking. What's the scheme? You talk vaguely about revolution. What is it? I think a socialist egalitarian system based on the massive redistribution of wealth, heavy taxation of corporations and massive responsibility for uh, energy companies and any companies in sport exploiting the environment. I think they should be, ta I think the very concept of profit should be hugely reduced. Okay. David Cameron says profit isn't a dirty word. I say profit is a filthy word because wherever there is profit, there is also deficit. And there, this system currently doesn't address these ideas. And so why would anyone vote for it? Why would anyone be interested in it? Who would levy these taxes? I think we do need to, like, there needs to be a centralised administrative system, but built on... Yes, there needs to be a government. Well, we might maybe call it something else. Call them, like, the admin bods, right. so they don't get a And how would they themselves. be chosen? Jeremy, don't ask me to sit here in an interview with you in a bloody hotel room and devise a global <laughs> utopian system. Mm. So I, one point to note here is that Russell Brown was a millionaire when having this interview, I'm pretty sure. So, the, you know, profit is a dirty word, but, yeah... That's that's a nice thing for a millionaire to opine on. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So yeah. So that gives a pretty clear idea of where he was then in terms of his slightly edgy revolutionary politics. Maybe not entirely thought through. Uh, where is he now? Okay. So here is a clip from him. I think this is from 2018 or 20. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in the last couple of years, and he's talking about. He's actually comparing his position now to then. Yeah, my position since then has altered in that I feel that my focus and my connection is transcendent of the limitations of conventional politics and that I no longer want to be confined to that playing field, which was kind of comparable to the position I had then, which was, hey, politics is much too centrist. There's no genuine options or alternatives being presented here. Clearly, that's changed with a kind of a move to the parameters but you know even when you use a phrase like parameters whose parameters what parameters uh, on both the left and right but as i say my focus is on a different type of politics by politics i mean the way that power is shared the way that systems are established and you know people will say oh these ideas that you have russell they're utopian because they are ideas like questioning absolutely everything all of the things that are not placed on the table for discussion consider why that might be yeah, so the, the, that is him outlining that he, he's transcended the categories of traditional politics, left and right, political parties. But but also, he kind of does have a half-take where he recognizes that he's essentially saying the same thing, right? That there there is not enough options or differences and that he wants genuine politics, real 
politics or not even politics, just, you know, change, democracy, spirituality. So, yeah, the difference might be that he's positioning himself more in the spiritual side of things as opposed to revolutionary politics or revolutionary left-wing politics. The, revolu the revolution happens inside our hearts, Chris. This is known. Yes. This is praxis. This is <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, it, and here is one more clip of him detailing his political model as it currently exists. I have a very different vision of how the world ought be, the way that we ought treat one another, the way that we ought relate to one another and support one another. And increasingly, I recognize that it exists outside of the conventional paradigm. And I accept that that's not the case for a lot of people. And I respect them. Uh, but for me, it is different. And my focus now is on new ideas, new vision, transcendent of national identity, transcendent of previous political identity, new, open, accepting, optimistic, still cynical, but utopian. You need not give up your cynicism to be a utopian. You can still be circumspect, intellectual and reflective and be a utopian. You can still dream of new worlds, true democracies, real engagement in your community, power not shuttled off to elsewhere in the hands of someone who ultimately is just like you and shares your foibles. We have a genuine chance to explore the inner, an outer world in new ways to make genuine discoveries about the nature of consciousness, genuine discoveries about how it's possible to organize societies. And I would not limit myself to any old idea, not when we have the imagination as our landscape of potential and of possibility. Reactions, Matt? <laughs> He certainly knows how to string words together, doesn't he? Um, yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? This, well, maybe we should talk about his style because that's a good example. Um, I think um, we're going to be hearing a lot more examples, so maybe just a little bit. It's it's very stream of consciousness and just things just kind of flow from, from one to the next. He's, he's quite quick to combine sort of questions about something like consciousness with actual like politics and social organization that as well as a spiritual awakening and so on so it's very you know it's very broad it's very hand wavy and very very abstract and and vague but those are my thoughts i i noticed echoes as well of you know rutger bregman's views about being utopian is is not a bad thing that you can combine that with uh cynicism and realism although i'm I'm really not sure that Russell Brand manages that, but the 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 message that we we can aim higher <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and not just settle for the mundane moderate policies of center left and center right, and and I don't think there's fundamentally yeah. anything wrong with people holding that political sentiment, you know, no. wanting a, a a stronger left or or potentially stronger right, although that gets me more worried, style of politics. But I, I will say that a lot of it reminded me of these things called Barnum statements. This is this quite famous psychological effect whereby you make a statement that says both things. That, that Like classic examples are, you know, 
you're somebody who sometimes enjoys being with people and being outgoing, but there are other times when you like to be by yourself and not be around other people. And and most people find these statements easy to endorse because everybody's a little bit extrovert and a little bit introvert. And in this case, he's he's saying, you know, you can be utopian and you can be cynical and you you can be reaching for transcendent politics and recognizing the limitations. And I'm I'm not sure that that's always true. I think like sometimes things are in conflict and it's definitely the case that things can be complex, but it, it, it feels that a lot of that is a rhetorical technique where he is advocating for this unrealistic utopian spiritual uh, fantasy politics, but he, he wants to avoid the criticism that it's not realistic or the, you know, to, to just give a hand wave, basically to re- prevent the Jeremy Paxman style questions from landing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, there's a super reasonable interpretation of this, which is that it is good to have to be a bit utopian. It, it's good to to think bigger and not just think about it in terms of, okay, we're we balancing budgets and, and, you know, increasing spending slightly on this and decreasing on that. Like sometimes you can reach for something much larger and obviously the the process of getting there might be a series of incremental changes but yeah the way he says it i think you're right it's it's just so it's so vague and it's put in such a way that well of course everyone would agree with all of that in 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 a sense but it's always going to be good to go for bigger and better things but also to be pragmatic yeah it's just very vague i'm just not quite sure so he he, what he doesn't talk about is how to how to to do any of these things it's a little bit like some of these other gurus that we talk about where they they sort of reflect a lot on themselves about what what they want to achieve and and how they're going to have these these conversations and open their minds up to to discussing impossible ideas but they never really seem to get around to them in any substantial sense so i don't think with russell brand that he really spells out too many concrete um, ideas about how to get to these utopias yeah and his his speaking style reflects it actually reflects his appearance which people can't see right but i'm i'm sure many people know he has this kind of bohemian tramp chic like kind of style he has crazy hair and big beard and and dresses in bohemian kind of style so he he's got a really distinctive appearance and and quite a distinctive way of talking which combines this flowery, pretentious overuse of academic or jargony words with a, a cockney twang, which makes, makes for a really distinctive, even regardless of the content, just a pattern of speaking. Yeah, and I, like, I don't think that's, that's necessarily good or bad, just to know that, that it's, it's definitely an engaging way of setting your... Like a, a, a brand, right? You know, uh, uh, his personal brand. Mm, brand's brand. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to hear a lot more examples of how he communicates. So, yeah, maybe I'll play one that you picked out, Matt. This is you. Yeah, I I do work. I make contributions to this podcast. Um, That's right. Despite you... all the impressions that you give everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <So>, here's <laughs> Matt's clip, everyone. On Russell, My clip, everyone. Russell Brand's speaking style. Chosen by me. So we look at things from a very, very narrow perspective, even when we consider ourselves to be considering a broad gamut of political mm. ideas. It's a very, very narrow spe- spectrum in the same way I would argue that our sensory uh, spectrum 
spectrum is narrow and limited. But like, you know, we're not going to start questioning whether or not there are different entities floating about and so, or different <laughs> vibrational yeah. frequencies and forces communicating with us continually. We can't operate on that assumption. We've got to get some dinner. We've got to get to bed. We've got to get laid. These are the things that seem uh, of most importance, except it isn't working. And it won't work for people to, uh, to elect right-wing populist leaders. We are, like C.S. Lewis brilliantly argues in his book, Mere Christianity, that the, the case for God is not made externally through theology, but is made in our own belly, that we know when we've behaved badly. We know when we're doing something wrong. And he denies that these are acculturated uh, ideas that we've been taught, oh, don't do that, do as you would be done by. Because he says there is no culture in the world where, he goes, there's cultures where a man may take one wife and cultures where a man may take five wives, but there is no culture where a man is applauded for running away in battle. But there there is a a sense of good within us. But we're so... So, so yeah, that's a good example of his uh, stream of consciousness communication style which is interesting because it's you know he's 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 like a he's like a hip jordan peterson in the way that it, he sort of does it but you know if you actually and if you let it wash over you like i found it quite difficult to select clips for this because i found myself becoming kind of mesmerized by um his talk like that it's almost all like that where i'm not I, I can't really follow what he's saying, really, uh, or um, and it just sort of washes over you a little bit, like Jordan Peterson. So, but I just with that, I tried to stop and say, okay, so what exactly is he saying? Well, he starts off talking about how it's bad to have you know very sort of narrow ideas and not sort of you know have have that broader focus, and he he uses you know actual physical perception and psychophysics as an analogy to illustrate that. And then says, but that's not working. So I presume he's referring to the narrow, a narrow sort of focus with ideas. And then he says it's bad to elect right-wing populists. And, and then he talks about the case for God is made by a kind of inner intuition coming from your belly or you know, some sort of ineffable realisation. And then he seems to be talking about how there's some sort of culturally invariant feelings or, or moral principles like being brave or whatever that are, that are just felt by everyone. I'm just going. Well, what the hell? <laughs> what, 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 are, what are you talking about? We're just, we're just moving. We're just sort of. It's like a dream where you're just sort of shifting through these different um, ideas. But I, I can. Do you know what he's talking about, Chris? Because I don't. Well, I mean, I think it all comes back to essentially arguing about the need for spirituality in all things, right? And the, there, there are themes that recur. But I agree, it's reminiscent of the alchemical lemon which i took issue with with jordan peterson where (laughs) there are connections that can be drawn between these subjects and topics which which make sense and they but but a lot of them are very tenuous and and in in many parts it feels a bit like the references are are there not necessarily to illustrate a point but to to bolster the profen- profundity of the the guru, right? That if they just state it yeah. in simple prose and and make the point like straightforward, it it sounds mundane and uh, or perhaps too wishy washy. Yeah, it comes across as very thin. Yeah, if if they were to do that, which they don't, of course, you know. So those those analogies and metaphors, these this this flowery language, it just it takes on a life of its own and the metaphor kind of grows until it's a, a crystalline structure bursting out of the ground and <laughs> then you're onto the next thing. Um, Screw yeah. you, Matt. Screw you. Um, there, there, there was a section where actually it was very reminiscent of Jordan Peterson because he's discussing uh, 
academic who's talking about Jungian archetypes. But uh, maybe it's worth having a listen just to hear the parallels. Fairy stories, the female is an aspect of it. Like with it like, as in dreams, as in folktales, the individual, the sovereign, the king, is the you know the seat within the self. And like so, in this Tristan and his older myth, he, like he breaks down the chivalric tradition where men or knights would fight for the honor of the you know the princess or whatever, knowing that they would never be attained because they are some icon of the divine and the unattainable. We somehow used that motif for the foundation of romantic love and like if you look at sort of romantic art romantic poetry romantic films it's like oh this yearning this terrible mm. yearning that has no uh, uh relationship to praxis it has no relationship how are we going to live this so i i, I illustrate that not to take issue really with the and the analysis but just to highlight the highly stylized an analytical approach, right? And literature, metaphor, heavy analysis of culture and society that, that this is based on. My point isn't to say that's an invalid way of looking at things, but just that it's, it's an inherently highly subjective interpretation. Yeah. It's like it's almost interpreting dreams, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, yeah, as you say, I, I wouldn't take issue with the point that he's making there, which is, I think, a reasonably good one, that Western conceptions of romantic love and relationships and whatever is kind of a cultural artifact, right? But yeah, the way it's done is very much in, in, in that rhetorical and poetic and elusive style, which, you know, is, like you say, is, is, is okay. There's nothing wrong with poetry per se, but, you know, it's a, it's a very easy mode to abuse like it, you could pretty much argue for anything using using evocative imagery i mean so maybe a part where he distinguishes himself from some of the other guru figures that we've looked at is that with jp sears we mentioned this approach of using comedy as a kind of shield that prevents criticism from landing because you know if you're if you're criticizing a comedian what are you doing, right? Like they're they're just making jokes and don't you have a sense of humor? And with J.P. Sears, it felt very, very much like the level of comedy is a, a thin veneer on the reactionary content. But I will say that Russell is a better comedian than J.P. Sears. And I, I also think he does have a kind of greater ability to laugh at himself. So let, let, let me just pay a clip where uh, Ritual and him are talking about whether he's setting up a new religion. With people that come in, you came in as an atheist and now you're this like, you know, you're ready to start your own religion, basically. Working on <laughs> that, know, yeah. yeah. Where, bit, where are we with that? Starting the old cult. You know, the acolytes are, are <laughs> you know, everywhere at this point. I don't this know. I just need thing. to get the right kind of blanket, work on that stare yeah. and long cuddle. and then this is, uh, this is very good for your ego, I would imagine. Oh, that's exactly yes. what I go for. The irony. <laughs> yeah. Always but you had... keep pursuing these, these, these avenues that are just rife, <laughs> ripe for that, right? I decided to tackle like, the... there... Yeah. <laughs> How about starting a religion or becoming this guru? I mean, there is, you know, of anything that you could enter into, like, this is feeding that monster. The one so that caution, I will know? definitely tackle this tendency I've yeah. had towards egotism by setting myself up <laughs> as a sort of online digital <laughs> Jesus. Once and for all, let's nip it in the bud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you should see the way I drift around uh. after my live shows.
Yeah, yeah, no, that's that illustrates a couple of things, doesn't it? First of all, yeah, you know, he's 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 pretty funny and um, he's definitely kind of knowing and self-aware in what he what he does, his his shtick and everything. But you know, I think he recognizes that he is um, really a performer, which is natural if you're if your background is being a comedian. You know, he's a, he's a live wire. He, you know, like you mentioned before about his style and his presentation, he's a he's an act. Um, I think first and foremost. And again, there's nothing super wrong with that. And the other thing too is that is that a lot of this, uh, a lot of the time in this interview is spent talking about sort of personal things. So our focus is kind of more on you know arguments and what are they saying and so on. But and this is true of a lot of the other videos and stuff I I looked at from Russell Brand. A lot of it does have a a very personal slant um, about his you know issues with addiction and, and then a lot of the messages the messages for for people that people are uh, you know are going to derive some value from are kind of coming out of um, his his personal narrative his personal story so you know he is pretty egoistic you know he's mostly he mostly talks about himself and yeah that's that's just what it is what it is yeah so there's on the personal narrative and the role that they have in his guru approach i think it's hard to overstate because he had problems with addiction and the the current program that he's promoting is one about applying the 12-step alcoholics anonymous program to basically your daily life in general and how how that can be transformative but but before we talk about that i want to focus on the point that you made about his ability to weave personal narratives into his presentation and and there's a point where Rich Roll, the interviewer, makes this explicit. And I think he, he did a good job of describing how he uses personal narratives. Yeah, well, it's the hero's journey. And there's something about your innate humanity and, and, and your willingness to be vulnerable in the storytelling matched with like this facility for language that you have that makes it very compelling. And then you'll surprisingly kind of zing people every once in a while with, you know, a paragraph about like, here's how you can do this too. But it's done in such a way where you don't really feel like you're being preached to in any way because you're caught up in the storytelling itself and, Thank the, you. and the humanity. So he he's presenting that uh, in a kind of positive spin about the ability for personal narratives to hook into people and make academic-y topics or whatever more interesting or more abstract theories more applicable. But it could be framed as this is a very effective way to manipulate people emotionally to engage with your content, that you're you're not just giving some theories and ideas, but you're actually making them personally invested in your story. And yeah, and I, I in general, Ritual is spinning things in a positive light, but he does have these moments of insight where he kind of raises a possible critique or negative thing, but but usually says, well, what about that? And I thought it's noticeable when we are talking about the way that Eric Weinstein or others invite their audience in to be their friends and to come along with a journey, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. It is very touchy-feely and kind of emotionally engaging like that. And um, like a lot of these things, it has, I mean, I said this before about the all of that poetic imagery. It's It's just easily abused in that you can get people to go along with it 
without really processing what it is that you're saying, sort of taking it on faith and taking it on trust. Yeah, it is like, you know, someone saying like, you're really getting your emotional hooks into your audience and it's it's inspiring. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, like, yeah and, and Rich Roll does, yeah, like he recognizes that a lot of it's got to do with his 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 way of talking, which is really important. You know, his, his style is really important. I mean, you hinted at this before and like, you know, when, when you take a lot of the flowery language and the and the evocative metaphors and you take that stuff out and you just figure out what they're saying in a very blunt, prosaic kind of way, then it's often not much, you know. Once you take off all those layers, there's not a great deal there. So, you know, with with Russell Brand, his style is is so much of what he is, you know, that, like, you know, I, I haven't read everything he's written. I haven't read most of what he's written. I haven't heard everything, but... You're not a scholar of Russell Brand, Matt? I'm not a... I'm not. But you're coming out of the closet? No, but I've listened to a fair bit and I haven't heard him say very much apart from we should, <laughs> we should be more spiritual and have a spiritual revolution, you know? Well, um, isn't that enough? <laughs> well, look, the this train of thought evocative association technique that, that seems to pop up quite a lot, There's there's a filmmaker called Adam Curtis uh, I think a British filmmaker who makes these films. Uh, he, he made one, The Century of Self, uh, like a kind of critique of consumerism and modern capitalism and looking at the psychology behind it. But he, he creates them by weaving together stock footage and interviews and, and, and like little snippets and adding this voiceover to it to create the narrative. And Russell Brand has this section where he talks about how... Adam Curtis was commenting on Russell Brand's style and its narrative prose and how it reflects this postmodern or personal narrative style that that is popular now. So uh, let me let me just play him talking about that and guess I do a bad job of summarizing it. Now he's a brilliant mm-hmm. but very sort of pop in a way. He takes on hard subjects, but he's very pop. He said that we live in our heads, and like so, he said that my he says that my right he was kind enough to say that my writing style is beneficial rather than uh, relentlessly solipsistic uh-huh. in that like we live now continually in the narrative of our mind the sort of like the sort of endlessly spiraling dialogue what now what do i do what do i have now i'm gonna get that so i mean i mean the point there is again you know saying positively that you're you're just kind of rambling on about your personal anecdotes is another way to put that but uh yeah, have it, have you come across that kind of thing before, Matt? Like the those documentaries or movies linking together all these powerful images and concepts? Oh yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I think there were, there was ones called Baraka or so, what, what was that one called? Sasquatchy or Parasquatchy? Sasquatchy. So <laughs> <laughs> we we been on this road before and we failed to identify the correct. Uh, movie so yeah i'm sure someone someone knows but anyway those um they're 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 nice documentaries there's often music going along and it's all about showing you uh evocative imagery on a theme and there's usually a message the ones i've seen were similar to russell brands really about might be um sort of an environmental theme and sort of mechanization of modern life and and patterns and and so on so it's not a it's not a logical argument that's being made but 
there's uh, an evocative, intuitive message that's getting transmitted. So um, yeah, so that's the positive spin of what Russell Brand does. In fact, he described himself probably more accurately than, than we did, you know, in terms of that sort of solipsistic kind of delving <laughs> into the into the mind. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think we're saying anything about him that he hasn't um, said about himself. So. Yeah, and the, I mean, we played the clip of him addressing about his tendency towards egoism. But in general, him and Ritroll do have a self-awareness, like in a J.P. Searsian kind of way, about the communities that they're involved with, the spiritual, new agey or wellness communities, and how that they can be self-parodies of themselves. So here's a clip of them talking about spiritual people who go a bit far. Like Because when you meet people... Well, I've transcended to <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on, let's get <laughs> or the or the 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 self-proclaimed enlightened person that just hugs you a little bit too long. A bit too much staring yeah. and a yes. bit too much yes. hugging. Yeah. Yeah. There's more to this than staring and hugging. <laughs> so yeah, look, they're they're um, they're certainly aware of the cilia aspects and the kind of traps that people fall into in this sort of enlightened kind of game. Yeah. yeah so and I, I think, you know, one of the things that we come across is that people often make these kind of point that where they, where they highlight that they're aware of what gurus do or whatever the field that they're involved in, they're aware of the traps of them and they kind of poke fun at them. But the, the thing is that they don't always specify then afterwards how they're not guilty of doing that, right? It's kind of like if you just invoke awareness of it, that's, that's all. You just need to yeah. show that you know there are people like that. And then that means that you aren't that, but... Yeah. yeah. Are you saying, Chris, this is analogous to the, uh, the the person who says, now a lot of people will say this is a conspiracy theory, but... Yeah, <laughs> <I'm going>. yeah. <laughs> it, it is that, or the, like the, the case where we've had people talk about some conspiracy for a couple of hours and then at the end say, no, I don't know if that's true or I'm not... I, I don't want to advance that that's correct, but I'm just asking questions, right? Uh, yes, it's just a hypothesis where... Um, investigating but i will say that the there is a level of self-awareness in terms of where his specific niches in amongst gurus as he describes here like it, it, the thing i think i can contribute is by being sincere but funny by, by continuing to acknowledge this is ridiculous this is stupid mm. this is happening in limitless space don't take it too seriously you, like you know that's sort of the thing that i'm trying to stay focused on because you know like in a world where we, we've got eckhart Tolle, we've got tony robbins we've got all these people that are sort of profound powerful communicators that know how to do this stuff and i think well there's no like you know all like any of us i suppose if we are authentic and true to ourselves then it's gonna get taken care of mm, yeah yeah, I mean, so at times you're right. He's um, he's quite you know self aware. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Like he doesn't, in seriousness, describe himself as a as an enlightened guru or a digital Jesus. But you know, at other times in going through those personal narratives, which you know he spends a lot of time talking to Rich about about his spiritual progress and how he's evolved as a human and so on and. I got to say, a lot of the time it does sound very pretentious and self-absorbed, and he's not alone in that. It's a lot of people do this. Like he was describing, he was describing this transition of how he stopped being extremely sexually promiscuous and eventually settled down and you know got 
got got married and had been married for a few years and had a child and and just I think that's not hugely unusual uh, but the, just the way he framed that was as like it was stepping up to a higher spiritual plane <laughs> or something and I just found it extremely pretentious <laughs> there, I mean there is a lot of discovering that the world is not about pure hedonistic pleasure and fame and this being parceled as you know I mean my god man can you believe it and like, yeah i i can i can't believe it, it yeah. I, and i didn't need spend 20 years as a celebrity themed for sex and drugs and rock and roll to realize that so no yeah. many people many people figure that out in their own way and don't make such a big deal about it but so yeah he, okay, so so i guess what we can't say being being fair is that um He's his style, his presentation, his manner is a big part of who he is, and it's a big part of what he of what he sells and what he has to offer. And he's kind of builds these spiritual narratives and weaves them around his life. And I have seen other gurus do this a lot as well. Um, for instance, in Australia, there was a a new age health guru who was just just cancelled just a couple of days ago. Just cancelled. Um, that was a, a very 2020 comment. Yeah, it was just cancelled, actually. Oh, was it? Yeah, just, just cancelled. Oh, it, it, it's like, um, it's like um, getting a splinter or something. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, he, he was cancelled because he, uh, look, after a long period of saying increasingly crazy stuff about, like he had a, he was selling a $15,000 electronic cure for COVID. Good, good, good stuff. Yeah, like it wasn't good. What else was he doing? That's right. I, I, that's, this was after saying for a long time that COVID wasn't real and that he chose, you know, he he chose not to believe that we could be contagious beings that actually were just vehicles for a virus to transmit itself. He said, "I, you know, <laughs> this very new agey way, I choose to think of myself as, as not that. <laughs> so that was, anyway, uh, I could go on. But long story short, when you hear this guy talk, he, anyway, by the way, he was cancelled, to finish the story, he, he was cancelled for, he eventually tweeted a, a neo-Nazi a neo-Nazi cartoon. Don't they um, all, Matt? Don't they all? The, you know, when who hasn't tweeted an accidental neo-Nazi cartoon? In this 2020 era, it's just it's just something you you know, just something you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said it was accidental, and so he he lost a lot of sponsorship deals and product placements and so on. Maybe he gained some other <laughs> interesting fans that he can monetize. But uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. So anyway, my the point of the story is that if you hear this guy talk, it's the same kind of thing. It's it's this amazingly self absorbed talk about his journey and 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 his learnings and. And 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 all of the the sort of he's a celebrity chef actually and um and and into the paleo diet and all that stuff so all the stuff that he's actually talking about he it, it's all woven in with with his own personal transcendent journey sitting sort of cross legged on the on the couch and being very smiley yeah it's so it's it's a style and I think Russell Brand does it too yeah and I, well. At the minute, his kind of gig and and why he's on Ritual's podcast, apart from you know just having a chat, is to promote his new book, which is focused on applying the twelve steps as a more general tool of awakening rather than purely a system for overcoming addiction. And here, he attempts to not invoke. Alcoholics Anonymous, even though everybody, you know, associates a 12-step program with Alcoholics Anonymous. And Rich Roll pulls him on this. 
Yeah, how yeah, I've done yeah. it is I never say which fellowships, if any, I right. go to. And that's mm. how I like you know. It's, but it's almost like a technic. It's like a technicality. Mm. You know, yeah. oh, we're calling it the secret society. We all know what we're talking about here. Yeah. And- yeah. I also like that. Yeah, you don't need to say that. But yeah. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, I suppose I should just play this clip where he outlines his view about why 12-step programs are a broader philosophical system that's useful to people. When you look, when I break down the 12 steps, it's it's essentially a tool for awakening, even in its own terms, mm-hmm. having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So it's uh, I feel uh, the way I've come to regard it is that problem substance misuse is a carapace, a holding pattern for like you know even within the confine of the steps. Right. So that's just like the basic level, the, and you can apply it much higher. Now, I don't want to criticize Russell Brand or anyone really for advocating a program to help overcome addiction, especially one that's based on their personal experience, right? Maybe lots of people have had help from 12-step programs, and most people know there is a religious aspect to it with the higher power and whatnot. But but I will note that, you know, 12-step programs and Alcoholics Anonymous, as far as I'm aware, they're freely available, and their their systems with groups that you can join, right? And I'm with literature that is freely accessible online. So it does feel a little bit like this isn't just all about the good of humanity. This is repackaging an existing uh, addiction program and then selling it in in a book. So I I'm not I'm not going to blame anyone for like, you know, capitalizing on their insight and 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 promoting it, but it's just that I think it's fair to say there is a motive yeah. here, which is at least a little bit related to profiting. Yeah, but that can't be right because he's like a super big, you know, he's in favor of socialist revolution. So I'm sure he couldn't be thinking about that. But uh, but the main thing I want to say is, are you saying that he is rebranding that AA content, Chris? Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, yes, so Matt, sorry. That is, I mean, we, we've had me say that brand is building his brand. And now <laughs> with the rebranding pun, I think I think we've re- reached peak peak punnage for this episode <laughs> but uh i think he's got competition yeah as you know comedians yeah yeah no we're doing we're doing well we're doing well yeah so what he's been doing i guess is um he's made that connection between this idea with alcoholics anonymous that um you've got to find this higher power to transcend this you know focus on on the addictive substance that is providing the focal point for life i think he's seen the connection there between the eastern mystical ways of thinking which is to see sort of all kinds of hedonic behavior as as a kind of treadmill uh, that you have to kind of liberate yourself from and he's um yeah you know he's he's rebranded it and given it his own spin and um writing books and and so on so yeah well so let's let's take a turn to a little bit more about his philosophical system or the insights he wants to impart. And I think uh, a good clip to play for this is one where he's, you know, in previous weeks, we've heard people 
discussed the limitations of materialism. Jordan Peterson was big on that, and so was J.P. Sears. So here's Russell's uh, take on that. Or Yes, this seems correct to me. And that, ra- that rationalism is bloody good to understand engineering, good to understand material, good to understand science, to organise things. But to allow it to become the preeminent philosophical um, perspective is dangerous because it excludes the unknowable and the unknowable is almost everything. <laughs> yes. So, so what he's doing is he's very charitably saying that, you know, materialist, materialistic knowledge is good, but the ineffable and the unknowable is almost everything so yeah, yeah it's maybe not that important after all it's uh, it's like that nice little disclaimer where you can say like hey, look i'm not against rationalism i'm not against science these are important things the only thing they don't really address is everything <laughs> that's everything everything yeah. that's important to life and meaning and the world but they can build yeah. bridges they can build bridges <laughs> and bridges are good. Bridges are good. Yeah. So he does remind me a lot of JVP here. Um, doesn't doesn't he? Um, because he's he in the same way. Jordan Peterson is is um, is quite happy to talk about you know sciencey things and acknowledges the material world acknowledges it exists, but is very quick to say that that's just kind of the shadows on the cave and that underlying the material world is a deeper theological level of meaning, which actually drives everything. And that's the real level that really matters. Um, And really here we have Russell Brand saying almost exactly the same thing, just using slightly different language. Yes, indeed. Now, Matt, as we covered at Mm -hmm. the start, you are a Bregmanian Mm -hmm. uh, in your intellectual outlook when you're not a gay space communist. Yes. So I want to see if you will endorse... Russell Brandism as well, uh, and his dissatisfaction with the material consumerist world. So, so let's play his uh, musings on that and see if we can convert you. Okay. The material world. This he says. This is this is uh, just crumbs. Don't settle for crumbs. I want to be at the banquet to recognise that anything that occurs within this limited bandwidth, whether it's uh, sort of Lamborghinis or limitless orgies, it's nothing. It's taking place on a, on a, a pinhead, you know, but then yeah. we have access to some kaleidoscopic experience, but does take discipline. That's the one. So, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I have, I have thoughts. So, <laughs> so, look, I think what's kind of annoying about that is that I think it's a real straw man to say that most people in modern society are concerned with orgies and Lamborghinis. Um, maybe, maybe in the circles brand moves, <laughs> but like I, I get that most of us are working to make money and pay mortgages and pay for school fees and, and so on, and maybe people do prioritize getting a luxury SUV a little bit too much. But I think for the most part, people do care an awful lot about, you know, the other people in their lives and having some free time to have nice experiences and so on. I don't think that how he's painting modern life these days is very fair. You know, maybe it applies to people, superstars and Donald Trump and maybe Russell Brand before he found enlightenment. But 
I think I, I don't think most of us are in that position. Well, what you described just sounds so alien to me. My my Lamborghini hedonistic orgies <laughs> are, you know, the reason I get up in the morning. And what what you're describing, you know, having kids and uh, colleagues or interest in ha- having like some value systems and meaning in your life. What is that? That's that's an alien concept. So. That, that, that's what. Can I come visit? Because it really, I'm really sick of it's really boring my life. I'd love. To. I've I've seen your pina colada pool party photos, so don't, don't try and pull the rug over my eyes. I know what you guys get up to in Australia. Yeah, it's true. We have. A, I've watched neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We have. A, we have. A, we kick back occasionally. Yeah. So look, I don't mind people being utopian. I I like utopianism i like utopian sci-fi and i think it's actually pretty cool to use that as a bit of a, uh, a guiding staff for thinking about more practical policies that might help us move things slightly slightly more towards uh luxury space communism but um i don't like russell brand's utopianism because it is just so wishy-washy and vague to especially it's just it just doesn't sound very authentic coming from Russell Brand either because to say, look, everyone, you're going to be more spiritual. Everyone should just forget about really what people are worried about is the practicalities in, in life, like having some kind of retirement, saving up for university things or just being able to go on a bit of a holiday with the family. I mean, the vast majority of people are in that situation. Occasionally, what you might be able to go and have some pina coladas and some sexy times by the pool you know but that's okay you know you could do that too russell brand certainly had his fair share of, of that so why not me chris that's my question to you uh, well i i got more insight into your pool parties than i was <laughs> but um and yeah so there's this part in the conversation where to kind of link this this spiritual talk to more earthly matters they do get round to politics towards the end of the podcast for the last 20 minutes or so. And there's this section where Rich Roll is, uh, you know, we've talked about people setting up binaries of good guys and bad guys in previous weeks and how this is useful for rallying people to your side. And and in a sort of self-aware way, Rich Roll invokes in the context of Trump and the Democrats or left and right in America, some Star Wars imagery here. Here we go. It's like dark and light. It is Joseph Campbell. Like these are, it's like Star Wars that's happening right now. And it's a race to the finish with the the ticking clock being like the environmental crisis that we're facing at the moment. Now, the reason I wanted to play that, apart from just enjoying Star Wars references, is that Russell Brand's reaction to that highlights where he's slightly taking a different perspective, I think. So let me just play that. Yes, the fact that we are individuals is an attractive argument because we really do seem like we are individuals wrapped in bags of skin. It's hard to imagine that it is perhaps more important and inverted commas more true that we are one, that the consciousness that you experience and the consciousness that I experience and the consciousness all of us in this room are experiencing is the same phenomena merely disrupted by more superficial, uh, 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 what do I say, apparel, like that we're the same, we are one. So can you detect a slight difference there? Yeah, um, I'm struggling to figure out what he's saying, though, about us. (laughs) Can you you 
Can you can you decode that for me, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a like a kind of pan psychism view about that there's a universal consciousness in the universe and it's kind of this view of we are the universe trying to understand itself so we are just embodiments of consciousness temporary bags of flesh and that right wing or left wing what does it matter we're all gonna die and feed into dust so like these petty differences that we have are just superficial dressing and he he spells this out again in a part where he's discussing Obama um, and Trump and the forces that brought them into being, which which maybe it will it will help you understand this beautiful philosophy better, Matt. If I play that clip, and then let's see how you're doing after this this consciousness download for you. <laughs> Please do. I would never belittle or dismiss the people that have reverted to national ethno nationalistic and uh, sort of patriotic and patriarchal even if not explicitly so ideologies because what the grant like i feel like that it's naive even to look at how can you divorce trump from obama there was like one minute obama was president one minute later trump was president so there's an obvious relationship and corollary and prior to that like you know these things are ha- like they are happening in relationship with one another and the feelings of um, i feel this all things that happen on the material f- plane are a reflection of subtler energies that are taking place in the consciousness yes. and being of individuals. And these these energies become systemized. If enough people feel angry and antagonized, then they will respond to to beacons or that, that, that's, that's, that's what I want to say, corroborate or attract yeah. that energy. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in in this kind of, worldview then things or people like trump are you know manifestations of negative energy that have sort of swirling around and uh, well, well he said he won't criticize ethno-nationalism well so. look i'm maybe a bit more charitable to what i think he's trying to say there which is a little bit similar to what um, sam harris was actually saying in that uh, in that talk where uh, you know sometimes people make bad decisions or what we think of bad decisions in voting for Republicans, for instance, uh, currently. Yeah, so I guess you could see where his spiritual kind of point of view is taken in, which is this 10,000 metre view up in the sky. And from from that kind of, you know, really elevated perspective where, as you said, we're all just spiritual beings momentarily instantiated in physical form. And there's this um, you know, tapping into um, meta-consciousness that pervades the universe, right? When you look at it, things from that kind of level, then the idea is that all of this stuff that happens in the world of, I think they call it Maya, is that right? Maya, that's the kind of Indian thing that or, uh, maybe China. Yeah, Maya or Mara. Uh, anyway, samsara, right? Kind of bad dissatisfaction, uh, the, the material realm that is ultimately unsatisfying. Yeah, exactly. And in, you know, the, in the sort of Western tradition, there's that, you know, the, you have the eternal forms and the stuff that really matters. And just then you have the epiphenomenal nonsense that's happening each day. And it's all a big distraction from what's from what's really important. And like when you have that point of view, it just, I mean, I get it, but it means you're not, you can't really say anything sensible about the 
the mundane world anymore because it's all just completely unimportant from from that perspective so i think so you know unfortunately what that can lead to is that very easy both sidesism nothing matters where Biden and Trump are just instantiations of different types of positive or negative energy. And um, and it just stops you from saying, you know, being able to have any kind of, I think, intelligent opinion about these mundane material matters. What do you think? Yeah, because, it, I mean, I think we've talked about before that you can you can always present these things in more defensible versions, right? You can say, well, he's just pointing out that, you know, there was a reaction to Obama's presidency which led to the rise of a figure like Trump and right-wing populism. And in that sense, there is, you know, there clearly was a reaction to Obama's presidency. But I I think that taking that thousand-mile view, it kind of detaches you from the reality, which is like, what did that reaction manifest as? And Trump was the leader of the birther movement. Right, which said that Obama was not a U.S. citizen, and which many Republican people uh, went along with, and and he's hardly changed his position on that. You know, on on those kind of issues since he's been president. So I, I'm not saying that therefore anybody who voted for Trump was a racist or that kind of thing, but more that dealing with those grimy realities, the political, the actual like campaigns and talking points and policies and stuff and and the differences between political parties, I'm not so sure that it's inconsequential for people or that it's more important to view them as disembodied energies, manifestations, because like there's always the, the great person of history or the product of the times, right? Like is... Is Trump just a, a symptom or is he somebody that's driving society? And I and you can take different perspectives on that. But I I do think that if you completely disregard individual personalities, you're you're missing quite a bit, right, to try and understand Trumpism without Trump. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, on your point that there's always a reasonable interpretation, but then there's the interpretation that they're kind of hinting at and they're kind of emphasizing with the more flowery metaphors and which is actually more in keeping with the general theme of what they generally like to talk about. And, you know, this is true of the other gurus we've covered. So there's this reasonable interpretation and then there's the kind of interpretation that's kind of more interesting and more sexy and more mind blowing. Now, what, what invariably seems to be the case is that the reasonable interpretation is always really trite and boring. Like it's true, but it's just <laughs> unimportant. Like, like, so my reasonable interpretation of what he's saying is that, look, all of that political stuff, it's all, it's all a lot of fuss and nonsense. Um, someone like me, I live in a small town in Australia, my everyday life, it actually doesn't affect my everyday life a great deal, whether Biden or Trump are in, is in the White House, and I probably pay attention to Twitter and the news too much, right? Mm-hmm. Probably should yeah. pay attention yeah, yeah. to. So that's the reasonable one. But that's, that's obvious, you know what I mean? That's, <laughs> that's, that's just not a very interesting take, but it gets spiced up. And yet you know, this is true of, I think, all of the other gurus we've looked at. But then that sort of version, which is kind of a Mott and Bailey thing, is spiced up by this, in, in Brand's case here, this you know ultra-spiritual um, uh, interpretation, which is more interesting, but it's, it's silly. It's not reasonable. Yeah. 
I mean, I basically agree with all that. So I, <laughs> I don't have anything to contradict, but I do have a clip that risks flogging a dead horse. Um, but that's what this podcast is all about. That's our brand, Chris. Our <laughs> brand. Right, yeah. <laughs> it is flogging the guru's dead horse corpses. That was our kind of title. Um, but there's this part where he's talking about a Native American activist and their view about the limitations of the Western political categories and, and how it relates to Brand's view. So, so here we go. This is him summarizing that. Marxism and capitalism, these are different sides of the same coin. Both assume that the land is something to be plundered. Both assume un, an industrialized and post-industrial society. Both of us have sort of, both of those systems are resource-based. So we look at things from a very, very narrow perspective, even when we consider ourselves to be considering a broad gamut of political mm. ideas. It's a very, very narrow spe- spe- spectrum. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's more of what we were just talking about in terms of all of these things that you think are very important, that there are very big differences, are actually just different manifestations of the same thing, and we need to have an entirely different perspective, a third way, a middle way, that uh, that steps outside all of these. Um... Yeah, and I, I mean, I also think that it is fair to say in some ways that Marxism and capitalism are systems that are focused on the means of production or economic factors and that kind of analysis of society. But it, it isn't fair to say that, that those are the only political parties and analysis available in a modern world, right? There, there actually are parties organized by like religious groups and by environmental groups and uh, like libertarians god help us all but they, um... <laughs> yeah no, no, you're right i think it's a bit of a straw man to say that the current political landscape especially these days is just a, a simple dichotomy between socialist and capitalist free market discussions and it's also a straw man to say that the political discussions are entirely focused on material strategies to, uh, that's not that's not my experience of, of of tuning into the news it's that's you know this huge amount of debate about a whole range of things as you said including you know issues especially in the united states on you know uh, religion and morality and topics related to that nothing to do with economics the environmental parties we've got the green party here in australia that does reasonably well um and these sort of um populist nationalist parties that are all about maintaining this sort of um traditional cultural values or homogeneity so yeah he's it's not a very accurate description but the other aspect of it that's a little bit annoying is that it's it's it reminds me of Eric Weinstein and people like that who dismiss the political dichotomy that exists at the moment and then positions themselves as above all of that and providing a mind-blowing new perspective that 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 sh- that sheds all of those assumptions and tired old partisan arguments that are happening between these two sides but they're just very vague and insubstantial when it comes to well what exactly are what exactly is your um, alternative third way that's the bit they never really seem to get to apart from gesturing wildly in in brand's case about a spiritual reawakening and the other thing the the final thing that annoys me the final thing on my rant is that yeah you know in its worst version it's like the 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 wind tweet which 
we talk about a lot, where the wise man bowed his head solemnly and spoke, there's actually zero difference between good and bad things, you imbecile, you fucking moron. Now, I I think about that tweet a lot because a lot of these hot takes seem to, to, to fit that so well. And in his case, he's saying there's zero difference between capitalism and communism. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I had to have one thing tattooed to my head, it might be that tweet. But uh, to counter your claim, Matt, here is Russell outlining what his system will propose. Okay, so maybe you're wrong. Maybe he does have answers. Look, I'm always open to be being proven wrong. So, but populism in itself, I don't think is a bad thing. People becoming popularly interested in politics, people thinking, I can get involved in this. People really, uh, the more people have direct control over the things that impact their lives, the better. It is a kind of anarchism. Communities governed and controlled by the people that live within them. Schools governed and controlled by the people that use them. Hospitals governed and controlled. This is, of course, there needs to be some, I suppose, there needs to be some kind of centrist systems. People tell me armies, roads, police forces, etc. But I feel that the principle should be minimized. Decentralized, community-oriented, populist. I think so. Before I get your reaction to that, I just want to point out that I think Russell Brand does not know what populism is because (laughs) at the start of that, he seems to be like, you know, who... Who could object to populism? It just means that people are interested in something that's popular. And uh, I I don't think that's what popularism exactly is in a political manifestation. It's, as, as far as I understand, it's uh, promoting that the elite or a specific group is responsible for the ills of society and that you speak for the people, not that elite, and that you will deliver people from this exploitative class. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, so I, I got to say, I liked that little thing at the end with that sort of hesitant, I, at least I think so. <laughs> I, kind of, <laughs> I, found that, I found that endearing uh, because, um, but uh, okay, so um, look, in, in a sense, that's good. He's at least spelling something out that is um, Different from it. It sounds like anarcho-libertarianism, no, right, or well, something like well, that. Well, I was. That's what I was going to say. That was going to be my comment. And I know that what we try not to do is get in there with our milquetoast centrist uh, opinions about things. But I mean, you know, if you look at uh, like the thing that he's describing, which is this complete community autonomy. Can 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 be nice, yeah. Can be good, you know. You got school boards and people participating in uh, maybe maybe electing their local sheriff or whatever, which I think they're doing a lot of places in the states. But um, you know, it can also go really bad, yeah. Like these 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 closed closed autonomous communities can go very strange, can't they? Like they can end up with like there's a wake- never been no, there's never been any case of that happening. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure what you're what you're even referencing. No, I just I, I yeah. So this is the milquetoast centrist in me talking, but it just seems horribly naive to be talking about anarcho-libertarianism with autonomous communities and, and so on. <laughs> well, well, I do. I did like, you know, the breath out, like people tell me that we need a government and roads <laughs> and police, but, I'm, you know, it's just like, a, well, I suppose so. But yeah, the look, you can have a revolutionary philosophy if you want that, that many people do, but I 
I just don't get the impression that Russell Brand's version of this is well mapped out beyond a dissatisfaction with the current system. I think he's much more comfortable in saying what the system won't involve. It won't involve exploitation. It won't involve uh, inequalities. uh, and, And like what it will involve is all idealistic, fuzzy dozzy, lovely stuff. And not how it will deal with things like crime or exploitation or uh, like, you know. A minimum wage, uh, for instance, you know, workers' rights. Um, how, how do you fund universities? Is there free education? And, you know, just the list goes yeah. on. I mean, like you said, he's not comfortable talking about that stuff. He does it occasionally, which is why we clipped it. But as you say, he's much more comfortable talking about the problems with the current system and and personal spiritual awakening. That's 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 where he's that's his comfort zone, I think. Yeah. So to to kind of round things off, maybe we can turn and drag him down to the messy political realities of 2020, because they finish off the discussion with a rather contemporary topic regarding the platforming of people with extreme views or or conspiracy theorists and whether that's a good thing or whether it's unfairly demonized or so on. And I have a lot of views on this. So maybe to start with, we can play his view of Alex Jones and his appearance on Rogan. It's it's like, would you have Alex Jones on your podcast? I sort of you would like, right? Because, See, I probably wouldn't. Because I, I understand. I sort of adore something about uh-huh. Alex Jones. Like, there's something about him is he's a bullions. He's mm. kind of. I kind of like it. Like you yeah. know, and like that one him on Rogan that time. I, was like, I couldn't. I got hell. like a half an hour into it, and I couldn't. I couldn't finish it because it was so it. bananas. Yeah, because <laughs> he's out there, isn't he? And I thought I've sympathetic. I've met Alex a couple of times, and I, I suppose I only part company when. This is the thing I'm trying to do, is like that if you have a spiritual life, it is for you. It's not something that you would inflict. Inflict on other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember that segment. So, yeah. uh, first of all, I think anybody's saying, you know, the only place where I part with Alex Jones, if you can say that, you've got problems because there should be a whole host of areas where you part ways with Alex Jones. And it's not just the conspiracy theorizing in some ways that's his least objectionable part it's more that he's an extreme right wing xenophobic uh racist guy that's that's like the one of the main concerns and then also that you know the the sandy hook stuff targeting the parents that's more symptom than the main thing they attack alex with it's the fact that he promotes conspiracies without any concern for their consequences, that he encourages his audience, some portion of which are unstable individuals, towards violence and towards harassing people. And I feel like Joe Rogan and Russell Brand are both similar and they see him as like this funny character who, you know, just says wacky things and, oh, nobody yeah. takes him serious, except people do take him serious. And he does make tons of money from his audience shilling them products, you know, supplements they don't need, and which often involve demonizing things like vaccines or 
or or offering coronavirus miracle cures. So he isn't this jovial, funny figure. If you listen to his content, it's pretty damn dark. There's a lot of Holocaust deniers that appear on his podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, well, you know what's going on, of course, Chris, which is that Russell Brand is a performer, and he 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 senses this he, he and respects that um, Alex Jones is a performer as well. And so he likes the style from an aesthetic point of view. And I guess the other thing that he's got in common with Joe Rogan is that he's not a very critical thinker. You know, he likes wild and crazy ideas and to have his mind blown. And Alex Jones also provides that. So I think you're right. And I think the issue is, is that uh, it points to a very superficial understanding or evaluation of people and ideas. Like Russell Brands is evaluating in that little segment, and he talks about other pe- other characters too. He talks about Candace Owens. Um, we'll get there. At, we'll get to them, Mark. Yeah, at that really superficial level of, hey, I like their style, and it was really entertaining, and they blew my mind. Okay, let me let me just interrupt you and play the clip so the listeners can hear his uh, analysis of Candace Owens. E.g. I had Candice Owens on the mm. podcast and like and I found her to be absolutely adorable. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's another good example. And it's that, um, you know, you see that kind of similar theme with the some figures in the intellectual dark web, which is more like, well, you know, never mind all that. They, they raise some interesting ideas and it's really interesting to think about this. And yeah, that's that can be a, just a really superficial cop-out which just uh, avoids any of the real problems with Alex Jones, which I thought you did a very good job of enumerating there. You've clearly, you clearly have strong opinions about well, Alex yeah, Jones. I have one or two, but I'll, <laughs> and, and Candace Owens is in a similar sphere. But I, this focus on the interpersonal friendliness, right? And that the, when you meet someone and they're not Darth Vader or they're not a snarly Nazi, this seems to be this prevalent take that people have this, image that like for somebody to be promoting a harmful ideology or a intolerant doctrine or, or or to be racist that they have to be physically spitting at anybody who has a different skin color it's this cartoon image where they expect the person to be horrific in person if they are promoting like an intolerant ideology and and that isn't true, right? That, that That's part of the point is that people can be charismatic, can be interpersonally charming, can even package their ideas in such a way that they, they don't sound that objectionable. But then when they have a specific audience or when you look into their ideas or the kind of groups that the followings that they're gathering, they're much darker than that. And it, it isn't enlightened to ignore that in the favor of the interpersonal, friendly interaction. In fact, that's the shallow approach yeah. to looking at the individuals. It's not really seeing them. Yeah, um, it is It is shallow and superficial. Uh, so I, don't think it, um, I think it's an indication of someone who pays more attention to style over substance. Yeah, and I, I'm, to his credit, Rich Roll does make this point. Um, this is him doing so. But as a podcast host, that makes you rife for manipulation. You know what I mean? If you have a charismatic person sitting across from you who represents a a point of view that is something you disagree with, it's very easy for me to become 
um, you know, swayed right. by their personality. I've heard and other this people innate say that. character defect of of wanting to feel connected to another human being. I do want to feel connected to other human beings. I do. I do. <laughs> I like you just hear Russell Brand though, kind of reacting as if like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Somebody could try to manipulate you, you know, by being nice. It's like, have you not <laughs> fought this through before? You know, th- that's the objection, right? I think I think he doesn't recognize it because he not I don't think he's manipulative per se, but I think he's a performer and I think he um an inter- interpersonally very engaged and engaging. So he does actually exist completely in that that world of of interpersonal engagement and um and impressions. So so I think it kind of blows his mind a little bit to think about well what else is there apart from that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a weird, uh, that's a weird contradiction, right? Because like he's all about there's deeper levels and spiritual realities and we shouldn't be focused on this superficial shell. And then when it comes to people and the substance and the ideas, the point is, well, but look, they're friendly and kind and, you know, we we shouldn't judge people just by their ideologies as if what really matters is if people shake your hand well and are polite, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so the last clip of this kind of thing is him describing Steve Bannon. And I think it encapsulates all the points that we've just made. I keep talking about this and I probably shouldn't. I sort of watched Steve Bannon on the internet do an address of the Oxford Union because I thought, right, this is that Steve Bannon that I've heard about how bad he is. Let's watch him on the Oxford Union. He, I mean, it was... It's almost as a piece of theatre, you should watch it. He arrives in a rain-spattered Mac. You can hear the protesters in Oxford, like, uh, like chanting, rah, rah, get him out of there, get him out uh-huh. of there. He sort of comes in like sort of a gumshoe detective, you know, like, and he's sort of like, just, he goes, and like, he, he, for about an hour, he doesn't say anything I disagree with. He talks about the financial crash, the implications of it, the corruption, the relationships between the financial industry and, and Washington. He doesn't at any point go, and that's why this group of people should be excluded or these people should be. He doesn't talk about religions or races or, econo- or gender or sex or a- economic classes. All he talks about is elites. And he said, you know, and in it, he said, one thing that I really agreed with, you know, populism is the future. All that's being decided is whether it's left-wing or right-wing populism. That's mm. the only thing that we're debating right now. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, that, isn't it? So so I guess the first thing that's interesting is how the first thing he talks about is um, Bannon's presentation, yeah, his style, which, as we talked about... Ian splattered Mac. Yeah, that's right. So he, just as a performer, he he he, he appreciates that. That's the thing that, that, that matters. And um, I guess Steve Bannon... Well, Steve Bannon's ideas do intersect with Russell Brands a little bit in terms of being uh, very much about populism, even though we're not quite sure if Russell Brand understands <laughs> what populism is. <laughs> yeah. It's just popular. Yeah. The, and the anti-elitism point, I actually thought that was perceptive, uh, although maybe not, you know, intentionally stated by him, but like that's a lot of what connects all these people that we Uh, different people that we are looking at is whether or not they're members of the elite, right? Like we're talking here about a millionaire actor married at one point to Kitty Perry, but yet he's he's able to be anti-elitist in the same way Trump was, in the same way Eric Weinstein, uh, managing director of an investment firm, is able to be, to kind of promote themselves as anti-elitist. And yeah, it, it it's it's kind of impressive how much work that does in 2020 for setting yourself up as somebody to be heeded. 
right? If you can just criticize things and point out that elites are not to be trusted, then you you kind of get like this sheen on yourself that you are therefore not of that class. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm not convinced by it. And I agree totally with the the whole thing about basically viewing Steve Bannon as a Columbo-esque feature. I don't think that's the point. And, and I'm repeating myself, but just his inability to consider that the ideas are being packaged for a given audience. That's, uh, it's just, it blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think, I think a lot of people are drawing from that well. And the well is that anti-elite kind of feeling. And the elites are this vague, shadowy cabal. <laughs> right, just slight, slightly different uh, definition of who counts as elite, depending on who's the one uh, making the claim. But everyone from 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 Trump to Russell Brand to the other gurus to whoever is are all anti-elite and are all positioning themselves as as a source of truth and knowledge outside of these orthodox sources, whether it's academia or the mainstream media uh, or whatever. So yeah, it's it's just, that's the really interesting dynamic that I see here, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, and Russell Brand is kind of he's on point a little bit to say that yeah, it's all about populism and left and right doesn't matter anymore because in a, in a sense that's kind of true, you know. Like it is true. I wish it wasn't, but I, I don't think that's he seems to be viewing that as well. Isn't that a great development? I'm like, <laughs> no, that's horrifying. Yeah, it is <laughs> horrifying. It's not. It's not good. Um, but yeah, I, I think. The, but the people who relish it are the people who are looking to cash in on that, you know, to become that, to become that source of that trusted source of expertise and and wisdom or spiritual guidance or whatever. They're they're the ones that are definitely pushing this bandwagon of you can't trust experts, you can't trust elites, you can't trust orthodox um, institutions and so on. Yeah, so they're playing a dangerous game. I don't think, I don't think, I think most of them are just grifters. Like, you know, Trump is obviously an elite, right? He doesn't want to actually have a socialist revolution. Um, and uh, Russell Brand might, but I don't know. I suspect he's pretty comfortable and would prefer to stay that way. I think what they really want to do is is cash in and 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 build up that 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 groundswell of anti-institutional, anti-elite, whatever the hell elite means sentiment. Look, I just want to flag here, Matt. I'm supposed to be the cynical one, and that's you saying that they they don't believe anything they're saying. They just want to cash in. So just just placing a flag there, but the uh, for the <laughs> listeners to pay attention to. But so I think we've probably mined the depths of Russell Brand's deep philosophical systems for all they're worth. But we we actually usually do have a segment before we finish yeah. earlier than this where we say some nice things about the people. And maybe we did say they're funny or and and particularly you know Russell Brand is funny. But I mm. I do have one nice thing I can end with before we get to the summaries. Maybe you can think of something. Yep. There's this segment uh, talking about conspiracies. And I was kind of heartened to hear this. And I don't believe in conspiracy in the sense of um, in sort of malevolent cabals, but I just feel that there are sort of sustaining systems and interests that won't be broken unless there is reasonable opposition, and that reasonable yeah. opposition can only come from, I suppose, organisation, rejection, rebellion. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Not, yeah, that's not, good. That's a good not, thing. Well, it's always good to be not positing shadowy cabals. And, and and the message that, you know, 
there are systemic biases or there are structures in place that make political change difficult and we should be uh, aware of them and not give up. I kind of agree with that. So that's that's nice. And if I just ignore all the rest of the stuff around that, then fair enough. Also, he's doing an MA, he mentions at SOAS, which he also describes as progressive and incredibly forward-thinking and enlightened. And just to note that I have a master's from SOAS as well. So there we go. There's another connection. Uh. What what is what is SOAS? Tell us. We don't know. Look, oh, I see. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. You're not uh, privy to all my internal thoughts. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, <laughs> mm. SOAS is the School of Oriental and African Studies, which is the kind of the most left-wing oh, university in the UK. Which I, as a die-hard far-left radical, of course, went to um, for my undergraduate and one of the masters. Mm. So, so there we go. Cool. Okay. Well, nice things to say. Nice things. Um, yeah. So, look. Well, he's 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 quite handsome, and he's in good shape. I'm. That's true. Uh, is that true? I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> that's true. Yep. 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 Look, probably the best thing I can do is to qualify some of my criticism, which is that I had a couple of rants there, and I don't I don't mean to say that they're all exactly the same. That Russell Brand is exactly the same as as other people that are. Um, I guess, proposing alternative ways of thinking and promoting populism and looking for a revolution that kind of makes a, makes a break with, with all of these orthodoxies and so on. I think there are, there's a wide range of people doing it. There is this one particular aspect which I've emphasised that I think they all have in common and it's not, that's not good. But I don't think Russell Brand is doing it in a, in a, in a, in a highly political or a, or a malevolent way he's you know he's he's just um he's doing his job in a way you know his self-defined job as a as an artist as a performer as an entertainer as as a writer of sort of autobiographical self-help books and as a as a as a personality an internet or media personality he's 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 doing his thing and he's got his that's how he's making his contribution by giving his best shot at providing this sort of novel insights i mean so you know the problem is I just don't think there's there's much to his insight. It's this spiritual, very vague, broad spiritual awakening stuff, mystical stuff that's kind of cribbed from Alcoholics Anonymous or or, or various Eastern religions. And so it's so it's hard to for me to pull out valuable ideas that he's putting forward. But you know he seems he seems like a reasonably nice guy. Like yeah, sometimes he yeah he reminds me of myself and my friends in some ways. When nineteen years old at university, smoking pot and and talking about the system, man and the higher consciousness or whatever. But he's also like someone who's on methamphetamine at the same time, so he's like just wild and <laughs> talking at a thousand miles an hour uh, with with this with this intensity that's a bit exhausting, but also mesmerizing. We've got more insight into your your drug usage and pool party, uh, uh, teenage pool party history now. I, d- I didn't inhale, Chris. I didn't inhale. <laughs> um, but I did talk shite when I was 19, I admit it. I'm talking shite now, but slightly less. A different brand, a different brand of shite. And I don't mean that as a pun. That's not a pun. <laughs> it's hard not to say brand, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it comes it's getting up. harder. It's getting harder. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, so look, that's me. I think my my nice things kind of turned into my summary there a little bit. So we might move on to that, eh? 
Yeah, well, I, I don't really have much. I think I've ranted and raved at various other parts. So I think I would just say in closing that I think he has a level of self-awareness and humor, which can be a good thing and which is more than we've seen with the other guru figures that we've looked at. And yes, it is used as a deflection at times and a way to kind of step back from making some quite extreme points or whatever. But on the other hand, just being able to laugh at yourself is is notable. That counts for that counts for an awful lot, doesn't it? I mean, it goes a long way to redeeming him in my yeah, eyes. Yeah, definitely. It makes him, you know, more likable, definitely. And the other thing is that I I think that neither of us are arguing that in the modern era or even, you know, past eras, that people seeking out meaning in their lives in whatever form that takes through spirituality or political movements or, you know, by following the teachings of Jordan Peterson, whatever they may be. I want to say that I'm I'm not dismissing that as a motivation or as a thing that is necessarily bad for people to want, right? That they they shouldn't think about grander things or bigger topics or they shouldn't be dissatisfied with the daily grind. Uh, there isn't anything wrong with that, just like there's nothing wrong with believing in revolutionary political politics, as long as it doesn't involve killing people and that kind of thing. But uh, the issues that I take are more with the rhetorical tools that people slip into and the way that other forms or other positions are are demonized or presented as super shallow and and, you know, that the majority of the world what it's engaged with is meaningless. And uh, the things that interest Russell Brand are the things that the majority of the world would benefit from being interested in. I'm not sure that holds uh, for tons of reasons. But yeah, he's he is what he is. I don't I don't hate him as much as the first time I've seen him on like uh, Big Brother's Little Brother. I think he's got better from when he was encouraging everyone not to vote. So there's there's some progress, you know, spiritual progress in the world. Yeah, 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 that's, that's a good summary. To summarize my main problem with him, it's a bit of a fancy term to use, but there's this term called uh, ontological confusions, which is to apply a kind of reasoning that's suitable in, in, in one frame of reference or realm of things um, to, to another one. So a classic case is uh, applying the properties of a, uh, of people or living beings to material objects, right? So it's a particular kind of delusion. Kind of what Russell Brand does is in, in doing these sorts of things where you take take this spiritual thinking and then you apply it to something like politics, what you end up with is some just half-assed anarcho-syndicalist <laughs> commune thing, which isn't really thought through. Um, and it's just because it's a bad, it's a bad application. So, you know, lots of people are religious, lots of people are into doing meditation and some kind of spirituality, whatever. And that, that's not my bag. I prefer, as you know, I prefer the cocktails by the pool myself, but hey, um, each to their own. I guess my only, or my main issue with someone like Russell Brand is when that they apply that stuff to to everything and making it this all-encompassing 
philosophy that doesn't really help when you're trying to answer questions about society or politics or whatever. Mm. Well, there you go. That is Russell Brand decoded in all his many aspects and loquacious uh, mannerisms. <laughs> but uh, so with him done and out of the way and not a short episode, I would mention, but who who have we got next, Matt? Who have we teased earlier that we're going to address? I have completely forgotten, Chris. <laughs> I can't that's remember. That's right. That's right, Matt. So this this is just me setting up myself. <laughs> say, indeed, Matt, we are going to deal with Scott Adams, the ah. famed cartoonist of Dilbert fame, who is apparently excelling himself in the post-election environment and became a kind of guru Trump whisperer, decoding how his tweets and statements were actually profound 20-dimensional chess strategy. So so we're going to have a look at him next. And and yeah, I'm sure that will be incredibly enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, incredibly enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen to all his opinions about conspiracies and Donald Trump and Democrats uh, and um, and race, I think he's got opinions about too. Who knows? Well, yeah. So you know what time it is, Matt. It's the it's the end of the podcast. It's time to say it's time to say goodbye, Chris. And everyone's waiting for you to say it. Well, look, I'm going to disappoint because in just to fit the theme, I'll say Namaste, Namaste. Ah, uh, Namaste, Chris. Bye bye. <laughs> you can always cut that, of course. <laughs>